hello and welcome to this episode of Pensions Cast, a podcast where we discuss topical pension issues being faced by companies, pension scheme trustees, and pension scheme members. I'm Raj Modi, a partner at PBC, and I work here with our clients in the UK and around the world on a wide range of pension issues. And last September 2022, the whole industry faced what seemed like an existential issue. The abbreviation LDI, which stands for Liability Driven Investing or Liability Driven Investment, is now a much more well-known abbreviation to pension stakeholders than it ever was before. This episode is about LDI. Joining me in the studio are Sam Seedon, an investment advisor in PwC's pensions team, and I'm delighted to welcome Lauren Brady, who is a solution designer at Insight Investment, which is an LDI manager. This is the first episode of 2023, and we want to try and do two things. Review what happened, but really with a focus on taking out of that what is relevant for forward planning for anyone involved in running a pension scheme. The situation is moving on a daily basis. Just today, on the date of recording in February 2023, the House of Lords has issued a report, well worth reading, by the way, on the LDI situation. And so, you know, no doubt um, views and perspectives will continue to emerge as different groups and parties look at uh, what happened and analyse it themselves. But we're going to give it a go today. So, Lauren, let's start with you, if I may. From, from your perspective, working inside an LDI manager, please do talk us through what happened at the end of September 2022 into October 2022, obviously. I mean, I know there were things in the run-up to that, so you may want to start your story a bit earlier. Thanks, Raj, and thanks for having me today. Yeah, so I think before we get into September, October, it's worth looking at the wider context throughout 2022. Um, so before that point, there was over the course of 2022, a lot of information around central banks hiking interest rates to curb inflation. Um, we saw that not just in the UK, but but globally. Um, and that led to government bond yields rising throughout 2022 in most major markets. Um, what then happened in the UK is that was exacerbated by the UK government's mini budget on the 23rd of September. Um, and we saw UK government bond yields really take off in response to concerns over some of the measures that were announced in that budget. And that led to really an unprecedented rise in, in government bond yields. And as government bond yields rise, prices fall. Um, so to put that into perspective, the longest dated inflation-linked gilt with returns linked to inflation, which matures in 2073, actually fell from a price of just over 115 down to 50, 115 down to 50 in just a few trading days, which is more of a performance reminiscent of Bitcoin rather than a UK security. Well, quite. Yeah, I mean, just to put that into context, because it's worth saying again, so its value fell by over 50%. Its value halved yeah. in a matter of a few days, which is, I think, fair to say, as you said, not something we expect from the UK gilt market. Okay, so then, yeah, what happened next? Well, so then what happened is that there was a lack of liquidity in the market. So there weren't enough buyers in the market to purchase some of the gilts that were being sold. So that pushed prices down even further and yields up higher. Um, and it ended up 
rising yields rising so sharply that the gilt market almost became dysfunctional, which was when then finally the Bank of England stepped in on the 28th of September. Um, and that immediately, they're just their announcement, even before people really looked through the measures, started giving the market a bit more confidence. Um, and they had launched a temporary programme of purchasing long-dated gilts until around mid-October. Um, and then that actually marked a bit of a U-turn as well from their previous uh, announcements where they had said they were going to start selling government bonds, which was a reversal of their quantitative easing programme, where they'd been buying up government bonds in the previous few few years. Um then what happened is they announced some further measures a, a week or two later on October 10th, 11th, um, and they allowed corporate bonds to be used to, by banks as repo collateral. Um, they also increased their purchase of government bonds. They widened the remit to include inflation linked gilts, and it was really that in particular which was helpful for pension funds given uh, that they tend to be the largest holders of, of inflation linked gilts. Um, Interestingly, though, it, it was more a confidence rather than an actual market dynamic point because the Bank of England had offered to buy up to a, about 90 billion of gilts, but only ended up buying around 20 billion of gilts in total, which really high, highlights how it really was a crisis of confidence in the gilt market. Y- yes, and that came through at the time, I think, because it's easy in some ways to look back with calm retrospective as we sit here a few months on. But at the time, really unusually for the pensions industry, this story was in the media every day. In fact, stories were being updated during the day. Uh, fair to say, not always accurately, but perhaps that's the nature of real-time developing situations. But it did seem to be, as you've quite rightly put it, more an issue of uh, confidence, um, at least to begin with, than anything else. Although, you know, because of that crisis of confidence, that can then actually affect real decision-making and cause real consequences. So yeah. maybe let's just turn to that. What was the actual effect then on pension schemes? And I know I know it's difficult to generalise because different schemes were affected differently, but just, just take us through some examples. What happened from your perspective? Yeah, of course. So the majority of defined benefit pension schemes now use liability-driven investment, um, and that's a strategy which tries to reduce the volatility in their funding level. So in essence, they're, they're putting the liabilities of the scheme, i.e. paying their pensioners at the heart of their investment strategy, um, and what they aim to do is invest in instruments that give them a similar interest rate and inflation linkage to that which is in their pension payments. Um, what schemes do through LDI is then use leverage to free up some capital so they can use that um, those assets to get inflation interest rate exposure similar to their liabilities, um, but also free up capital to invest in other high quality securities that pay a premium over gilts. And that actually allows the schemes to improve their funding levels by generating some extra income as well as managing their liability volatility. Um, and the reason that affected, uh, the reason that the guilt yield moves affected the pension schemes um, is actually the first one is a positive. So the funding positions of most schemes would have improved where they weren't fully hedged. So if they say hedged 80% of their liability risks, then actually their liabilities would have fallen quicker than their assets and they would have ended up with a funding improvement. Um, the second one is is what we saw around the, the sort of spiralling of yields where that meant that pension schemes were required to post margin on their LDI exposures. Um, and in order to meet those margin calls or their collateral calls, they had to sell quite a lot of assets very quickly in order to meet um, those calls, which typically would have happened over weeks or months, but in this instance were happening within days. 
Um, so normally it wouldn't have been an issue. There would be a buffer held in their LDI portfolio to cover those collateral calls. But the unprecedented size of the gilt movement seen at the end of September led to these much larger collateral calls. So schemes had to prioritise selling assets to re- meet those collateral calls, which then created further market pressure. Um, and some commentators have labelled this an LDI crisis or a leverage crisis or even a solvency crisis. But it wasn't really any of those things. Um, for some schemes, not all schemes, it was just a short-term liquidity crisis where it wasn't that they weren't good for the money. It was just they couldn't get the cash quickly enough from one area to another in order to meet those um, collateral calls due to the, the speed and scale of the gilt price moves we saw. Right. So it was as much an issue of events happening thick and fast um, than it was sort of anything fundamental, I suppose. It was just the, the pace and the rate at which um, de- events were developing. So I mentioned the House of Lords report earlier, and they have quite rightly, I think, explored the the bigger philosophical, if you like, and macroeconomic issues about whether pension schemes should be that fussed with about interest rates to in order to be worried about hedging them in that way. And certainly what you described as leverage, you know, multiplying their exposure because they care that much about hedging their interest rates. That That's all a topic around whether the so-called present value, today's value of the liabilities, is a relevant measure compared to, say, the cash flows of the pension scheme that it's got to pay out over time. So that that is a live debate at the moment. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this is what schemes are doing and still doing. And that may well change over the future. But we are still in a, a world and an industry where schemes are quite focused on LDI. So let's just turn to, yeah, what were the practical issues? Because I suspect that the whole, the challenges that go with LDI strategies haven't completely gone away. So how could you summarise, you know, what what led this to fall down? And therefore, we're going to turn into, well, what are the issues that, that scheme trustees and sponsors still need to fix as they go into 2023? Yeah, so um, despite the collateral calls being across a number of schemes, we did see quite a lot of disparity in how well schemes manage this um, and there were some governance aspects I guess that that we really saw come through as part of that. Um, one of them was where schemes weren't fully prepared and they hadn't thought through um, a clear sight of how quickly each asset they hold could be sold in the order they needed to sell that to top up collateral um, and also some sort of misunderstandings around how liquid assets actually were so a fund that previously might have been considered very liquid because it was a weekly dealt um, they may have realized that when you allow for for notice periods and dealing dates and settlement periods so the time between putting the the order in to sell the asset and actually getting the cash out ended up taking more than a week like two weeks three weeks um, and given they needed that cash within within almost days it was just not quick enough um, the other thing was looking at making decisions at speed. So where schemes had existing governance structures which weren't quite um, up to scratch, that was that was often an issue. The schemes with the most streamlined governance and pre-agreed liquidity and collateral plans in place helped that really helped them to, to act as quickly as they could. Um, and then finally, information flow. So we saw um, some really great... Um, collaboration between consultants managers and trustees 
um, and where you could get all those people on a call or in a room at the same time, where you could ensure that there was a good data flow from, for example, the LDI manager on your collateral position to the consultant to advise the trustee and then regroup all together. That really helped people to obtain a clear picture very quickly as to what was going on and what exactly was needed of the trustees as well. Yes, and that's worth saying, actually, that in the heat of that period, there were some shining examples of how to do what you might call governance, good governance at speed really, really well. So there were a lot of success stories, but I think it's fair to say there were also a lot of challenging situations. So, Sam, we what we've heard there, and it's quite wide ranging, right? We're hearing issues about, call it the complexity or the, the fit for purpose or otherwise nature of the asset portfolio, issues about how against that complex backdrop the relevant decision makers make their decisions and the speed at which they can make their decisions and also issues about data and information flow and to what extent everyone really understands what's going on that feels like quite a lot to go for and 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 a lot that needs reinvention frankly so what's your perspective i know you've been studying this quite closely over the last few months (laughs) yeah so, I mean, there are several themes that we think all push basically in the same direction towards less risk, less complexity and less cost in pension schemes um, going forward. I mean, I actually wrote about them in an article before um, before Christmas 2022. The, the first one is that the one you've already been talking about, which is that we believe that the funding level of pension schemes sponsored by UK corporates is is actually quite a lot better than it was. Um, PwC's own funding indices attest that. Um, We've we've recently reported very healthy surpluses in our two funding indices, which is the the PwC Low Reliance Index uh, and the PwC Buyout Index. And that's obviously great news for sponsors, but also for members and trustees. Yes. And just to elaborate a bit on those indices, if, if listeners aren't familiar. So the PwC Buyout Index, starting with that first, that compares the assets in pension schemes to the theoretical cost of buying them all out, buying out the pension commitments with an insurer. And amazingly, that shows in aggregate across the UK pension scheme universe that there is a surplus on that measure. Now, you know, you can have a view about the relevance, as we were talking about earlier, of the the single number, the present value of those liabilities, and is that a relevant measure for you? But if you're trying to transfer your liabilities with an insurance company it is a relevant measure because that is the price that is a premium you're paying like like it or not so that shows there's a surplus on that measure in aggregate at least and the low reliance thing and we won't go into detail now but essentially that that's a comparable measure but assuming that you keep the pension scheme on the corporate balance sheet but manage it in a sufficiently low risk way that you're not expected the the corporate to have to step in to to bail you out but it's a good point you make that at least on those measures you know, and the ver- the relevance of those measures varies according to your specific situation. Things are looking pretty rosy, right? So, yeah, carry on. Yeah, I mean, and this it all suggests that the need for high asset returns and leveraged LDI is maybe relatively limited compared to before yields rose, um, which I guess sort of started from the end of 2021 onwards. Um, so we think that many schemes will be able to generate sufficient returns with relatively unlevered portfolios. Uh, things like gilts, corporate bonds, and maybe some more illiquid assets. Um, and we, I mean, we suggest trustees and sponsors do review their strategy, their, their asset mix and so on, but also their governance, which is the tool that they use to deliver their investment strategy um, to that end. 
to the extent that higher returns are needed to fix the deficit, then I mean, understanding the liquidity is obviously of those assets is obviously going to be very important. Um, pension schemes that aren't planning to buy out have a long time horizon, so some illiquidity is okay. But you've just got to you've just got to have a look at the liquidity of those assets and make make sure you understand it. And I do wonder if more liquid return seeking assets could be um, a very collateral efficient approach now. Um, so, for example, public equity has done very well since 2009, arguably driven a bit by quantitative easing, um, and it's usually very liquid. Um, it's also possible to integrate that into an LDI portfolio quite easily via physical equity, via equity derivatives, um, which takes the pressure off somewhat the LDI leverage by doing it through the equity side. Um, I mean, you can also do weird and wonderful things about protecting downside and, and, and so forth with, with derivatives. So I think that's, that's an interesting one to think about. Right. But the point is that uh, essentially other strategies are available, right? So you don't need to necessarily have LDI or certainly leveraged LDI to the extent that we've seen. I think that's it, right. Yeah. In pension scheme practice so far. But having said that, let's just explore our portfolios actually changing so as what you've described is that is that theory or is that practice or maybe i'll come to you lauren first and ask the question how are portfolios changing or how have they changed since october 2022 what are you focused on as a someone inside a manager yeah so i think the the points i mentioned what we're seeing is certainly lower level of levers levels of leverage within ldi portfolios um I think for a lot of schemes, they probably can't quite afford to hedge what they want to without any leverage at all. Um, as you might expect, given the market volatility, um, their collateral buffers have been reviewed. There's been obviously guidance from from the pensions regulator and pooled fund regulators um, around maintaining a similar level of resilience to what they currently have. Um, and we've seen um, some guidance come out saying around 3 to 4% of a collateral buffer should be what they're looking at. So we've seen um, schemes topping up their collateral pools to that level and looking at what they do sort of following that, reviewing the liquidity profile of the assets outside the LDI portfolio. Um, so ensuring that they've got that liquidity ladder in place where collateral pools do come in. Um, looking at establishing other ways of, of accessing um, either return or other assets. So as Sam alluded to, things like synthetic equity can be helpful where, where you have a sort of leveraged equity exposure through total return swaps, for example. Um, and you can also use, for example, things like corporate bonds where you've got a corporate bond mandate alongside your LDI portfolio. You can repo corporate bonds to free up some additional collateral while still retaining your, your credit exposure there. Um, and we've already touched on governance processes, so ensuring that, that your governance um, is as good as it can be if anything like that happens again. And then finally, if you if you really want to keep your asset strategy the same and you don't have sufficient liquidity, looking at whether your hedge is the right size and shape within your LDI portfolio as well. Okay, so loads of points there to go for. You have brought into the mix, and I touched on it in my intro, about the likely direction of travel when it comes to regulators. Uh, Sam, I'm going to give you this challenge, so not necessarily to second guess the final outcome when it comes to how we're going to see regulatory change affect pension schemes, although I think as we sit here today, it's highly likely that we will see some change. But you talked earlier about the sort of the nature of how asset portfolios might change, uh, you know, less risky, less complex and so on, less costly. 
just yeah say, say a bit more can you bring together that likely direction of travel with what might happen when it comes to regulatory direction yeah yeah um i mean from my perspective and and yeah as you say i, I started before giving a list of the themes that we think are pushing portfolios in that direction of less risk less complexity and less cost. So one was lower deficits that we've already talk, talked a bit about. We also know that regulators are pushing for um, lower, more transparent investment fees and costs. So the FCA set up the Cost Transparency Initiative in 2018 to ensure there was basically a standardised way for costs to be disclosed. So there's quite a lot of regu regulatory attention there. So that was happening anyway well before these current issues. Yeah, the, I mean, lots of these are themes that that are that, 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 that were happening before that I feel like the LDI crisis has accelerated in some way. Um, there's an agenda around scheme consolidation as well, being led by the regulator. Um, so we know that's manifesting in commercial consolidators, which is a, a, a specific thing. And that's, I mean, it's had a bit of a slow start. However, we, we do see consolidation happening through the LDI managers and through the fiduciary managers, where a relatively small number of providers are responsible for the majority, majority of the assets being managed. Uh, the funding code consultation is out at the moment, um, and that's that's where the regulator is sort of indicating more prescription going forward about how schemes should eventually target to invest, what level of funding they should have when they reach their terminal portfolio. Basically, the regulator's being more prescriptive on, on what you should do with your investments. And to be clear, that's the pensions regulator, as distinct yes. from the financial conduct authority. So there's there's many regulators at play. Yes. In this yes. Situation. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and it's interesting. So that's the that is the pensions regulator. It's interesting that the FCA, separately to that, has has also talked about regulation of investment consultants. Uh, recent select committees that, that also came out in the the Lords report that you mentioned this morning, Raj. Um, it, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens there. I think I think they're not saying that that would have prevented the LDI crisis, but it's interesting to see that it's been raised a couple of times from when it was previously raised back in 2016 or 17. I think so. We'll see what happens there. Um, and also the regulators are considering what the right amount of collateral and so on for LDI portfolios is. So there's interim guidance out at the moment that the pensions regulator has put out um, under some direction and guidance from the Financial Policy Committee. We understand there's going to be further guidance to come. I think that's coming in the, 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 the annual funding statement from the pensions regulator and also the Bank of England Financial Policy Committee has said they're going to make an announcement in the next month or two as well so we'll, we'll see what we'll see what comes there um so so yeah so for a lot of trustees and sponsors this might throw light onto their governance as lauren has mentioned um they they might want to consider as i said before an independent review of how the crisis specifically impacted them um, and consider whether future governance and scheme strategy are are fit for purpose really well, yes, and that's what I want to try and move to now as we try and wrap up this conversation, is that looking ahead. So we at PwC had been looking at the issue of gilt valuations and the gilts market uh, back in you know, 2020, 2021, well before the run-up to that trend that Lauren described earlier in 2022, seeing gilt yields gradually rise. We had flagged that uh, just something felt a bit out of kilter when it comes to the nature of that market. I want to try and do something similar now to the extent that it's possible and help listeners get ahead of what they need to be thinking about. Um, so, you know, foresight in, instead of just hindsight. So I'll come to each of you. Lauren, first, what yeah, what should be on people's agenda? What should they be thinking ahead to, to, to get ahead of, you know, and try and avert any future problems? 
Yeah, so I think there's probably three areas really that we're focusing on with with our clients to help them improve their resilience to, to things like this happening again. Um, and they sort of fall into the buckets of liqu- liquidity, governance and integration, which we've kind of touched on through throughout all of this. Um, so the first one, liquidity, making sure that you're looking at your, your total collateral resilience um, of your portfolio, not just your LDI portfolio, but your wider asset portfolio. Um, looking at where you source liquidity from. So, for example, like Sam said, freeing up um, liquidity from elsewhere, like synthesizing equities or using um, corporate bond repo. And then looking at sort of steps to maintain that resilience as, as yields continue to rise. Um, the second one, integration. So looking at um, centralizing your collateral pool and credit assets. We're seeing increasing integration of um, mandates. So, so as Sam alluded to, where you've got sort of an LDI manager having credit alongside it. Um, and a sort of holistic man- risk management framework across all of those assets. Um, and then finally, governance. So uh, some of the points we've touched on, like timely access to information, um, looking at uh, the right reporting, having the right processes in place, um, and potentially also looking at delegating some of those um, decision-making capabilities within certain parameters, for example, managers being able to sell assets um, within certain parameters that you've set. Okay, and then Sam, final thought from you. You and I talked quite a bit offline about the macroeconomic and international picture. Uh, I mean, I think that's a subject, a whole subject that could make another podcast. So I'm going to try and ask you to do it in two or three sentences just now. But you've got, I know you've got thoughts about you know what's happening globally when it comes to the levers that affect supply demand for UK gilts. Can you try and summarise that in a couple of sentences? Yeah, I think the key point is who is going to buy, and you see this in the mainstream press, who is going to buy all of the bonds that, um, say, the UK government and the US government are issuing. Um, And so, I mean, there are basically three buyers, institutions in the UK, the Bank of England and overseas central banks. And one of the questions is whether overseas central banks will continue to be buyers of gilts because we know the Bank of England is unwinding its gilt program. Um, we know pension schemes have already bought a lot of gilts. And so the question is going to be who's going to buy the gilts as they come out. And that will obviously impact the price of gilts. Yes. And as pension schemes do move over to insurance companies, to some extent, they release some of those holdings of gilts. So there's just there's a lot going on in that market. And I don't I don't necessarily think it's just a one sided flow. It's very difficult to predict. No, no, I think that's right. And um, yes, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, it is difficult to predict, um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of gilts coming to market, and uh, yeah, the question's going to be who's going to buy them, I guess. Brilliant. Okay, Lauren, Sam, thank you both for joining me today to discuss this issue. I hope as you've been listening, you've found it interesting, and hopefully, you found plenty to inform both an understanding of events to date, but also ideas for what you should be thinking about for keeping future strategies up to date. Please do share this episode with relevant uh, colleagues and friends who might find it of interest. And we would be delighted to hear what you thought of it. Uh, Our contact details will be in the show notes. So please feel free to get in touch and we will get back to you personally. In the same vein, if you have any specific topics you think we should be covering on future editions of Pensions Cast, please let us know. And as ever, if you want to find out first when, as soon as future episodes drop, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For now, thank you for listening to Pensions Cast and goodbye.